right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a low right now. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. I'm Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Hey. And on today's edition of the show, we're going to be breaking down the spring game for KU football Got some uh, Lance Leipold audio we'll get to you later on in the week. We've also got David Lesky of Inside the Crown. Going to talk Royals with us coming up at 340. Case of the Mondays and some other Monday stuff, including the transfer portal for both KU football and KU basketball. Uh, This is the week, by the way, that we will start registering for RCST Trivia. Year number four of our basketball edition of RCST Trivia. We've had three champions, three different people every single year, and uh, we're looking forward to year four. So the event is actually going to start as soon as next week, most likely, um, barring any hurdles that we have to clear over with registration and whatnot. But most likely, we'll be starting next week. So uh, be on the lookout. I think we're going to start registering. Um, We have our auto entries in that we're waiting to get registered today. Then tomorrow, we will have uh, open to registration for listeners to the show and the podcast and then on uh, maybe Friday later this week, whatever's left over, we'll start opening registration up on social media. So definitely be on the lookout. Are there any restrictions or any special rules for registering? Um, no, I mean, the only thing we're just we're just going to have like a certain thing that, hey, if you, you know, reply to us like this or shoot us a DM with this specific message and that's how you register. And then uh, you don't get officially registered till you give me the info I need to get you registered, which, you know, for those who have been in it before, you you know what that is. Just need, you know, some contact information and, and availability for your schedule of when you can do this. I will say um, we record these earlier on in the day from before our show. Uh, we, we don't do them live because of there are many reasons we don't do them live, but basically just because of that, you do have to have certain availability to be able to do it. But um, we are looking forward to do that. It's, it's really fun. Yeah. Uh, we love getting the listeners involved and um, having them win prizes. We're going to have uh, some more cool prizes coming up on this edition of uh, trivia. I don't know. What were you thinking? Is there like somebody what? that? Well, that, just like if the like, you know, over 18, stuff like that. <laughs> um. You know, I, I don't think we've had anybody is, enter who's any, under 18. Is there any age restriction or anything? I guess not. Like, if you're good, you're good, right? I don't think we have any prizes that are like, like we're not giving away alcohol or anything like that, which I don't even think that'd be legal to begin with. Um, so, yeah, no, I mean, if, if you know your KU stuff or if you just want to have fun, one of two or maybe both, or you want to win free stuff, like, join. My only rule is is don't be, uh, don't be a complaining Carl, I guess. I was trying to think of like a way to put that, uh, you know. Just, uh, we're putting this on for free. We're, we're working hard. We'll make mistakes, but so do you. And you know, and you'll probably don't lose. be a bleep holes about it. Okay, yeah, and you might lose. Yeah, you'll probably lose. Exactly. I mean, only one person's gonna win. So just enjoy it. Have fun. All right. Um, KU football spring showcase. Congratulations. They won. They also lost. All right. Uh, are you worried at all? They're on one pace to go six and six again. No, they're one and one. They won and lost. Oh, okay. So they're one on pace one. to be five hundred. Concerns. That's good enough for worries. a bowl. 
Um, I'm fine with that. I will say that, you know, in watching the event, it was not the most aesthetically pleasing sporting event I've ever seen. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah, not a lot of flow to the yeah. game. It's, I don't know, moving I mean, back in different know situations. That you call it a game, really. No, not really. It was more scrimmage situation than I actually thought it was going to be, to be honest. Like, we had the little seven on seven at the beginning, and then we had yeah. the like two, whatever it was, they 25 did, did, minute running clocks. Yeah, they did a couple goal line situations. Got some special team stuff in there. <laughs> the, the kick return was kind of funny because it was just like you would have the kicker kick it off, but there was. He was the only player on the kickoff team, yeah. and then the kick return guy was the only team on the the player on the kick return team. Um, one, they, on, one on one, yeah. If you were the kicker. Could You're you screwed. tackle? Could you tackle? No, no, you could not. And there was a ton of players who rotated in to the different teams. They had yeah. a, a bunch of, um, I don't know, different personnel rotations and and things that they were doing. They didn't really get a super long look at maybe any guy for a period of time, especially for some of the starters or guys who are going to be playing a ton. Like, for instance, um, in the 7-on-7, Trevor Cardell was the tight end running with the ones. And then the tight end that was running with the twos was Will Huggins. But it's like, okay, we know Jared Casey and Mason Fairchild are going to be ahead of those guys. You know, Uh, the offensive line had reps all over the field. That was actually kind of interesting. That we'll get kinda, to that. That kind of checks out with what we've heard a little bit uh, from both the players and the coaches about how they want to make it to where the second team offensive line is fluid and can play different positions, so it makes sense that there was a lot of guys all over the place. Yeah. Um, but basically because of that, because there were so many rotations, because it was kind of you know more vanilla play calling, you're not going to run the, the deepest playbook you can. We did see a few wrinkles in there, I think, from Andy Kotelnicki, but yep. it, it's not that you can take away like some overwhelming stuff, I think, from this game. Yeah, I mean, we could have done, uh, you know, Monday overreactions for, sure. <laughs> for the KU Spring game. and there You have any? A lot of them. Well, my, my Friday night overreaction... <laughs> Was the defense is bad? Okay, but I think that's an overreaction. Um. Okay. So let, let's start there. Then. Oh, let's my other overreaction there. is that the kicking game is not fixed. Oh. Okay, but so this one I would actually counter the kicking one. Uh, why are we starting with the kickers? Uh, it doesn't matter. We're there. We're there. We we've crossed that bridge. Might Sorry. as well go there. Uh, no, you're bad. fine. Sorry. You're fine. I asked the question. I, I led it here. Um. We saw it. There were like five different kickers that they rotated in. Yes. I didn't even know they had five kickers on the team. To be honest. Uh, we saw uh, from the field goal side of things, I think we saw like three that were 35 and longer or something. We saw uh, Owen P. So Keller looked good. Keller looked good. Owen, and that's the guy I Owen, expect to start. Owen Salt and Pepper. He, yeah. He, he was okay. Or I think <laughs> he, 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 he like hit he a 40 yarder, but he yarder. barely made it distance wise. Yeah. Which not ideal. And then but he was I don't accurate. even know who was the. And then uh, the Weinrich kid, was that the, the local guy that kid from Nebraska, he missed from 35. It was plenty long enough, but it was, I think it was wide right. I, I think Keller's going to be the guy. I have it, confidence it, in Keller. He looks it good. It would appear as though Keller is going yes. to be the guy. And it's not one of those positions where it's like, man, if you don't have a good second-string defensive <laughs> tackle, that, that could hurt you because you need the depth. It's like, well, realistically. I apologize to Owen salt and pepper I don't know how to say his last name. I don't either. I just call him Owen P. <laughs> like Owen Papa John, <laughs> Owen Papa Giorgio, something like that. Um, apologies. But again, yeah, so uh, I, I'm not overly concerned about the kicking stuff. And also for the punting side of things, um, the Australian guy's not there. Yet. Not there yet. Yeah, and I expect him to like be the starter. So I'm, yeah, not, I'm not overly concerned. Yeah, I will say uh, as far as the defense goes, I think that's interesting. Okay, 
Not a lot of pass I have, rush. I have a counter to my own overreaction. Okay, so I'll cool. let you go first. So there was not a lot of pass rush. On a lot of the passing plays for KU, they had plenty of time for the quarterback. Now, how much is that like knowing that you can't actually sack the quarterback and that's in the back of your mind? How much of that is the KU offensive line is good at pass protection? There was a specific Jason Bean play where I was like, if this was a live play, that would have been a sack fumble. Like there was a mm-hmm. guy behind him. I don't remember who it was, but somebody had behind him from his blind side was like going to hit him. And if it was like a live play, sack fumble. Yeah. yeah. I, don't, so, I don't remember who it was though. And, and so like, I, I don't know. But overall, that's I agree. a worry, but that is something that coming into the spring game was kind of a thing because, and, and especially like Jeremy Robinson didn't play. Patrick Joyner is dealing with injury stuff. So it makes sense that they, they would struggle with the pass rush. That's something that I think is going to haunt them a bit this year. But here's why I'm not overly concerned with it. I did think that the, the run defense was pretty good for, for for the KU, I thought the defensive line got a good surge. Okay. You know what's not an overreaction? What? Dil- Devin Phillips is very very wide. Yes, that dude's like a triple wide out. Yes, that's insane. He's like a double frame door that uh, just like takes up space in the middle. Yeah, man, I I thought they actually did a pretty good job with yeah, like I said, like getting a bit of an initial surge at the line of scrimmage. Like the few plays where Kansas was offensively able to get a big rip off running the ball. Like one of them was the Savion Morrison run where yeah. he just like bounced it to the outside. Like anything KU tried to do running the ball in the middle didn't really get much. Um and you know last year when you think about it, they were a really good running team Kansas was, but it was more so because of the triple option stuff. Like when they had to be more of a when Jason Bean was in there, when they had to be more of like a traditional running team, they weren't as good. They didn't yeah. get as much push. Yeah. So it could be partially that. But that's the thing to me because the the more I think about this if KU's weakness defensively this year is going to be pass rush, makes sense. Lonnie Phelps gone. When you look at it, the defense overall last year was just bad in general. Yes. If you just get better at run defense, well, that's basically okay. Time that's out. enough. Time out. Okay. That's basically exactly what happened from last year to the year before. They were bad, but last year their run defense was a little better. But it was a little better. I'm saying be a good run defense team. Okay, that's because a there jump. were there were games last year where they still got torn apart running uh, run defense, right? Yes. Especially down the stretch. Yeah, I'm saying become like a top forty run defense in college football. Yeah, and if a, you can, that's a pretty high. It, bar. it might be. It might be. But if you can do that, even if you do not have a good pass rush, you're just going to automatically be better because you weren't a great overall defense at anything last year. So if you're just better at one thing, that raises the game. But beyond yeah. that. Guess what? If you're not as good of a pass rushing team, but now instead of third and four, it's third and six, just by nature of your defensive ends being able to pin their ears back or being able to get more creative with your defenses, throw more blitzes out there, you're going to make up for that. Yeah. So really the one thing I look at this year is like the offense should be good. The defense probably will still have its struggles. Can you just be like, I don't know, maybe, okay, f- fine. Maybe not top 40, top 60, <laughs> top half of the country. That's probably top that's, 60 run defense. That's probably realistic. Do that. I think. Do that. That's probably real. And I thought they I thought they showed some good stuff in that regard. Yeah, on Friday night, my initial reaction was the def- the offense is going to have to score 50 a game. I'm going to walk that back. <laughs> I'm going to walk that back a little bit because the more I started thinking about it when I was watching the the showcase, I'll call it. I guess that's what it actually is called. I was watching like the linebacker group and I thought the linebacker group was like a total dud. Like I to me it wouldn't seem like they did anything. Uh Craig Young barely played. Rich Miller and Tywin Berryhill played quite a bit. I don't even remember J.B. Brown really doing much, uh, but there was a lot of corner wheeler. But after after I went home that night, I thought to myself, you know, the format of that showcase was very, very heavily skewed specifically against, like, 
the hard hitting guys, the yeah. linebackers. It was more of like touch. Fo- it because, wasn't quite touch. It was like yeah, because the, those give guys pop. Yeah, those guys were clearly yeah. not you know looking to make big hits or make or explosiveness in the hole on run defense or right. you know hitting a guy over the middle. So I I kind of walked back my initial thoughts on that because <clears throat> initially I was like, wow, this this is going to be tough because. I, I they didn't really show anything, but then I started to realize you know that was a pretty heavily skewed environment for more of the skill players, more of the guys on the outside, and then some of the trenches too. So maybe I'm less concerned now than I maybe was initially, like r- right in the moment. And in the secondary, and and I thought what you're saying is a good point because if the run defense gets better. And I think the secondary is probably the biggest yeah. strength of this team, right? So even for the pass rush, yeah. Uh, yeah, the defense, yeah. So even if the pass rush is not as good, if your run defense is a little better, plus you hope to be better in the secondary overall, that should be good enough to be a little better defensively. Right, right. I agree. Um, and and I think both those were were true for for the linebackers. Yeah, they, and, yeah, and, they and didn't let, really. I mean, and let's not kid ourselves. Like obviously, this is going to be a team that's going to rely on their offense, right? Like that's mm-hmm. that that. We don't need to beat around the bush with that. Like this is going to be a team that is going to rely on scoring thirty plus points per game every game to win games, right? Yeah. So it's not like the defense needs to be the eighty five Bears. Okay, they just need to be continuing to get better. Like right, like objectively, they got better last year from the year before. Now that was pretty easy to do considering how bad they were the year before that. But they got better. Okay. Well, now you have a chance to make another step forward. And I think some of the concern of what you've pinpointed some of the some of the concern maybe bubbling up is if this team had Lonnie Phelps if this defense had Lonnie Phelps I think people would be feeling pretty great about yeah. the defense that they could be like a middle of the pack big yes. 12 defense which so would be, I think a lot of the concern yeah. revolves around that which is understandable but I still think the defense can be better even though you lo- you lost Lonnie Phelps yeah I, I agree overall um uh, it is funny, like you mentioned with the linebacker play. Yeah, Cornell Wheeler, I thought, made some really nice plays, and we kept hearing about him. He was, like, the most impressive. I also was interested to see how they used Alex Reich. Uh, he just kind of, I don't know, was, like, Craig Young, linebacker, like, safety role all over the field. But, yeah, the linebackers didn't really stick out. As far as the positions that did stick out, I think any, uh, just in general, people watch the quarterbacks. Yeah. So that obviously stuck out. Yeah. Um, Jalen threw a few picks. There's an overreaction. You worried at all? I'm no. not. No. Not one bit. Uh, Jason Bean was probably the most like active quarterback. Yeah, he played the most, I, I was right? thinking he probably played the most snaps out of anybody. I it's, mean, he was out there a lot. Who who was the reverse pass thrown to? Was that Tanaka Scott? I think it uh, was down the sideline. Yeah, it's too bad that wasn't complete. Otherwise, uh, that would have been remember. the the most memorable play. Okay. I think I have maybe a it question was anyway regarding that play. That's a play that KU has run in the past. Yes. Okay, so it's not like it's oh groundbreaking. Wow, what a play! Right, the KU defense plays against the KU offense every single day. How do you still get burned on that? You're going up against like what do you like? What do you mean? Pass. Like what? Zingable how do you? Pass. But he was open. How yeah. do you still get? How do you still let him get open? You they run that play every day. Maybe the defense was like, "There's no way they're going to run a <laughs> trick play in a spring game, right?" Is that an overreaction by me? <laughs> like, do, what, what? What do you? They got Jason Bean and Jalen Daniels on the field at the same time. Yeah. You're the KU defense. You play against these guys every day. What? What did you expect to happen? Yeah, fair. <laughs> Um, Vasco, we saw a little bit of. I don't think anything jumped off the page yet. The first throw okay. we saw make was to really the, good. To his left, yeah. that was awesome. That was the very that was first literally throw we saw. So awesome. Yeah, I, I love that. That was great. And Everything then after else, that, like whatever. I remember. I, I think it was like the second pass in the the seven on seven. Um, like everyone was covered. He went to like his fourth or fifth progression, which in a seven on seven is not supposed to happen. <laughs> um, I, 
yeah. You know, I, the, so I guess the coverage the that he went through the progression. The coverage by the secondary anything. was like pretty good. Yes. most of the night. Now the wide receiver ones. So Luke Graham and Lawrence Arnold were played really really well and got some separation in the five ten plays they were out there whatever. But besides those guys, when the when the secondary was going up against like not the top receivers, pretty good. Yeah. Definitely. And we know those KU receivers can be pretty good. I mean, I even saw some good reps from, like, Doug Emelian, and yep. uh, obviously it was Kevin Terry really catching the most of passes, I bet, if there were stats on it um, at the end of the game. But, yeah, I mean, Luke Grimm, Jalen Daniels, that seems to be a really good connection once again. Like, no kind of surprise there. Hard to take anything from the running back group. Because, they didn't do anything. Yeah, I mean, you didn't have Daniel Highshaw suited up. Devin Neal Devin ran, Neal. like, Five right. plays, They were trying maybe? to keep him protected. Savion Morrison had that one run, and that was all yeah. I can remember of it. It was a lot of running backs who were, like, not scholarship guys. Yeah. So I didn't really take much away from that. And, and maybe McDuffie did play a little bit, uh, but I don't remember him doing anything either. Yeah. And the only reason I remember him being out there is because his quads are huge. Just look for the dude with massive thighs. That's Kevin, <laughs> that's Dylan McDuffie. Well, there were, there were some nice flash plays all around. Like, DeAndre Thomas had a nice run. The Kevin Terry touchdown. He was obviously active. Uh, Tanaka Scott... Uh, Jason Mean had a little scramble and then kind of threw a YOLO ball up, and Scott made a nice jump ball. Gage Keys made a nice like flash play on the defense. There were some flash plays all over, and I thought the defensive line, you saw a bunch of different in the rotation between yep. Davion Westmoreland, Hayden Hatcher, Tommy Dunn, DJ Withers, uh, Gage Keys, Devin Phillips. Like You saw a lot of the, the guys on the D-line. Honestly, and- though, the most intriguing part of it to me was, was the offensive line construction. Yep. You had so, yeah. for the majority of the time when the ones were in there, you had Logan Brown at left tackle. You had um, Bryce Cabledew in at right tackle, which is interesting on its own because Cabledew, through most of practice, seemed to be playing at the left tackle position. Yeah, and in fact, there was even some comments made that would maybe indicate that he was going to be the guy at left tackle. Yeah. And then you had uh, Kobe Baines at right guard, who we've been seeing him like kind of, I don't know, compete at the right tackle position. Michael Ford got an injury at one point. He had been dealing some center snaps because Mike Nowitzki was out. And then you had Dominic Pooney on the guard position. They tried moving Pooney to left tackle at the beginning of things, but then when Ford went down, they moved Pooney back to the inside, and then that moved Logan Brown to left tackle. So I don't really know what to think. Does that mean Logan Brown's a left tackle? Is he competing at right tackle? I don't know. Is Pooney... Are they going to keep moving him to left tackle? Okay. Is he going to move so inside? Which I, I don't do? hate the idea of this like fluid where like your second string of linemen can play the different positions. But I would like for the starters to be the starters of what spot they're going to play. I mean, is that am I wrong for having no? That I, I don't think you're wrong. But to be fair, Michael Ford and, and Mike Nowitzki, those are both guys who you expect to start, and they were both at that no, point I know. Yeah, I know. out. Yeah. yeah, I'm not talking. I'm not talking about like my thoughts on the spring showcase. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying in general. In general. Because yeah, those guys, those guys were were not available. Yeah, so, so I, I I don't really know. Do we go back to what we saw at the beginning of practice? Do we just throw it all away and be like, well, when Nowitzki's back, you just plug him into center. You figure Ford will be one of the guard spots. Pooney will be either left guard or left tackle. Yeah, and then you have two starting spots left between, I don't know, either Bryce Cable do it left or right tackle. Kobe Baines at um, either at that point, I guess I don't know, right tackle or. We saw him a right guard. Does he go to left guard? If I Pooney's mean, a left tackle, I don't know. It's a, it's, Pooney has turned into a star. He really yeah. has. Like, I, I, and that that is interesting for him too, though, because he was. I I would say he was their best offensive lineman last year. Yeah. What happens if he moves to left tackle? I don't know. Right. Some guys can do it. Some guys can't. But I mean, 
He's about as trustworthy as you can get on that offensive line. So it almost feels like to me the offensive line right now is a Rubik's Cube. Like all the squares are there. All the colors are there. You know it can work out in the end. <laughs> I just don't know how it's going to happen. That's an interesting analogy. Huh. I kind of like it, though. Yeah. But I, I feel sense. good about it. I feel good about it. Yeah. yeah. Right, he is uh, Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We're going to talk with David Lesky in about 15 minutes, a little Royals baseball. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. That time on a Monday here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk to catch up on what you might have missed or maybe go a little deeper into what you saw as we're joined by David Lesky of Inside the Crown to talk a little Royals baseball. The Royals win the series over the weekend 2-1 to one with the Giants. And it's kind of one of those interesting series where you feel like you very easily could have swept it. But I don't know, when you look at how the last two games go, I guess, do you just view it as... Well, the Royals kind of stole game two, and they got game three stolen away from them. Does it just kind of balance out, and you take the 2-1 series win? Yeah, I mean, if if you're the Giants, you look at that, and you go, well, we easily could have swept that series. I mean, they only lost 3-1 on Friday. So, you know, it it was a good good series. They they went on the road. They played a team that, um, you know, Gabe Kapler before the season said that he thought that team was more talented than his 2021 club that won 107 games. So, you know, I I don't know that I believe it, but um, that's that's some high praise. So I I think that that's a good series win. They just hit 13 homers in three games against the White Sox, who might actually be really, really bad. Um, But still, they did it. (laughs) I mean, they, they, they still did hit all those home runs and score all those runs against them. Uh, coming into the series, the, the Giants had, I think, the third best walk rate in baseball, and the Royals walked them six times in three games, including once in the last two games. So that's, uh, a lot of it was just really positive, I felt like. And, yeah, I mean, they very easily could have had the sweep, but you're right. They also could have lost on Saturday and won on Sunday, and then yeah, no different <laughs> in the end. So, um yeah, I think uh, I think that's how I would look at it, and I, I think overwhelmingly the series was positive, and and the results, you know, even if they, I, 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 it's a weird way to say this, but even if they had gotten swept, if they had gotten swept with Chris Bubich pitching the way he did, with the offense coming back, even if they had lost it later, if Brad Keller pitched like he did, but they lost, you know, I still think they would have been positive. But winning two out of three, that's that's a cherry on top, I think. Well, with what you, you said about the White Sox possibly not being good, obviously the Tigers, uh, they don't look very good either. Is there is there a real avenue? Do you do you think that is a realistic goal for the Royals to finish third in the division or top three? Um, you know, I, yeah, I, I guess it's a realistic goal because that, that, that should be something they strive for. Um, I, I still think the White Sox are more talented than they've shown. Um I think they're still leading today, I think. No, going to the bottom of the ninth, so they have a chance to blow a save. So we'll see what they do there. But um, I think that I mean, ultimately I think that they need to finish in front of the Tigers, for sure. I mean, the Tigers are bad. Um, they should feel bad. No, they're just they're not a good team. And so the Royals should finish ahead of them. But I don't think it's crazy to say, hey – Let's shoot for ahead of the White Sox too, because they've shown a lot of issues. I mean, they, their bullpen's been terrible this year. Now it's, it's a small sample, and 
Liam Hendricks hasn't been there. Now he's, I, I think, I think I saw he's going to start working his way back to, to pitching. Um, he was just declared cancer free the other day, which is great news for him. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that they, I, I, I don't know if it's realistic they can finish ahead of them, but I think it's a worthwhile goal. Okay. Uh, we're talking with David Lesky here of Inside the Crown. Uh, Chris Bubich looked really good against the Giants, and uh, now this is two starts on the season, still small sample size overall, but you know, overall the early results on, on Bubich have been really good in route to a 1.64 ERA, over a 10K per nine. Uh, what are you seeing right now on Chris Bubich about why he is pitching this well so early on, and do you think it's sustainable? Um, I think there's a couple of things. One, I think the pitch clock is helping him quite a bit. Having to get the ball and throw it, I think, is really beneficial for him. Um, he's he not always, but sometimes would, I think, overthink some things. It's, it's the same thing with Josh Thomont, and I, we'll see it when he comes back up. But they are thinkers on the mound. And sometimes when you think on the mound, you get yourself in trouble. Um, and that's not to say that you should completely clear your mind, but I feel like there's, there's a happy medium. Um, so, so having, having the, to get the ball out of your hand pretty quickly, I think helps. Um, but also his thinking has gotten him to this point as well. He's added a slider that looks really good. Um, he's changed his arm slot and that's been really helpful. I think so. I, I feel like that's, those are two of the mechanical and pitch-related reasons is why he's doing better. But he's also throwing strikes. <laughs> I mean, this is not rocket science. This is nothing that we haven't talked about a million times. He threw 76 pitches yesterday, 56 strikes. He threw first pitch strikes to, I think it was 13 out of 21 batters. Um, he's at like 67% first pitch strikes for the season. He's getting ahead of hitters, obviously. He's putting them away. He's getting swings and misses. It's just all together. And, you know, it's, there will come a day that he looks bad. I mean, it's just the, the, the reality of the situation. Look at Max Scherzer's had a bad start. The Rose are going to face Jacob DeGrom tomorrow. He had a bad first start. I mean, it's just, it, it happened. So I, I would encourage people not to jump ship because I think what Bubich has shown is that he's doing something different, which always work but what he was doing wasn't working so why not do something different and and i I think it's um admirable and i think we're seeing the results of it early on on the flip side of that bobby witt jr is hitting just 143 we saw him start slow last season and i i think i recall talking to you last year and you talking about how you know that's kind of been his thing over the course of his career even in the minor leagues um any worries any concerns about bobby witt off to another slow start yeah, I mean, a lot of it is probably just a slow start. I think some of it is that the WBC didn't help him. Um, he was looking really good in spring training and got three plate appearances over, what was it, two weeks, I think it was. Um, that's not great. <laughs> that's not what you want from from the guy who you probably think should be your best player. Um, he's shown, to me, some signs of life. Um, I don't know. I, I, I worry... His inability to hit the high the fastball up, not the high fastball, the fastball up in, in the strike zone. That's that's concerning to me. Um, I think it could very well be just an issue of like hand placement. Um, he might bring his hands up just a little bit. I saw some videos of him working in the off season where his hands were higher than they are now. So maybe it's just a mechanical issue that not hitting <laughs> for for two weeks. 
hurt him, and, and he's got to get back into a rhythm. But it's it's one of those things that we're keeping an eye on. Um, Ten games in, nah, not not a worry. Um, Twenty games in, maybe a worry. So <laughs> we'll we'll see. Um, maybe maybe getting home, getting home cooking. I think he's actually staying with his family this week while while they're in Texas. Maybe that'll maybe that'll help get him going. And and next week we can have the conversation of wow, Bobby Witt Jr. hit four runs and stole seven bases and now he's on his way to 30-30 but um, <clears throat> at this point I, I think that it's worth monitoring I don't think it's necessarily worth being worried about but we should keep an eye on it for sure so I guess through this point 10 games that is kind of like the I know well I guess not anymore the 17 game season but a lot of people will point to oh that's like one week of uh, NFL football uh, what would be through uh, I, ba- I guess basically that one week of play uh, what would be the the biggest caution sign so far, or biggest worry about the team to this point uh, that you, you do have questions about, oh, no, that hasn't looked great, and I'm not sure where it's going to get fixed, and what to you has been the most encouraging sign about the team through two games? Um, you know, I think I think there are a few things. There's been a lot of good. There's been a lot of good with the pitching staff. Um, all the strikes, and I wrote about it this morning, um, First pitch strikes, strikeouts, the lack of walks. I mean, they were, I think, tied for fifth in baseball in, in walk percentage, which is amazing considering where they came from. Um, I'm a little bit worried about the bullpen doesn't seem as strong as I thought it would be. Um, I thought that you know, I, I was in my head counting on Dylan Coleman to be better. He has been pretty bad to start of the season. I was counting on Amir Garrett to be better. He has been iffy. I wouldn't say bad. He's been good at times, bad at times, as, as much as you can be fluctuating in 10 games. Um, so that that's a little bit concerning to me because I think that the, uh, the the backbone of this team should and could theoretically be a really good bullpen, that they only need to get six innings from their starters, five and a third innings from their starters, which surprisingly enough, the starters have been really good. Um, but the bullpen is, is concerning a little bit. I think, I think they'll work it out because they have so much depth down in the minors as well, but that's something. And then the other thing, too, the starters have been really good in general. Um, I I worry a little bit about the sustainability of that because they're not walking guys, which is great. They're striking guys out generally, which is great. They're also giving up a lot of hard hits. And we can't look at the offense and say, well, they're going to hit because they're hitting the ball hard and eventually they'll fall in. And we can't, we can't do that without saying, well, the pitching staff is giving up hard hits, so eventually that will fall in, too. It, it, it's gotta, it can't be one of the – it can't be one, of, one, one way or the other the other way. It's got to be everything goes the same way for being logical. So that's a concern to me. But I also feel like Brady Singer has looked better than the overall line in two starts. I mean, he had a rough game on – was it Saturday? I think it was, yeah, Saturday. Um, you know, I think Jordan Lyles, a really interesting start his last time. He gave up five runs, he struck out nine, didn't walk a batter. So something's got to give there, but that's a little bit concerning. Um, but I, you know, for it's funny for a three and seven team, I feel like it's pretty positive. You know, I, I think that getting two of three really, really helped change attitudes. But you know, even the defense, which I think we all thought was going to be a really rough point on this team, even the defense has been pretty good. Um, they ranked. Weirdly enough, second in the fan graphs. Uh, third, I'm sorry. Third in overall defensive value. Um, it's early. Things, things change really quickly defensively, but 
you know, through 10 games last year, they were like 23rd, and we thought, well, that seems odd. And then it turned out, oh, no, they were just bad. So I, I think that um, I think that's encouraging. Um, but, I mean, there, there are a few things that you worry about. And, again, there are three and seven teams, so it would be weird if there was nothing to worry about and everything was good and they were still, were still three and seven. Zach Grinke goes tonight for the Royals. I don't know if you saw the stat that he's seven unique hitters away from striking out a thousand unique batters in his career, which has only been done by four other guys, and all four of the other guys are Hall of Famers. So I'm, I'm just curious. I mean, would something like that? I mean, I, I guess this is more of a big picture question, just in terms of Zach Zach's legacy. Like, uh, what do you think it might be after the season, or you know, after his career is done? I'm going to be honest, I have no idea what you just asked me. <laughs> the, the, the phone completely broke up, so I don't know what you said. <laughs> oh, sorry. Uh, just about just about Zach Greinke's legacy, like, after he's done, oh. what do you think? It Will be? Zach Greinke join Pete Rose in the should he or should he not be in the Hall of Fame club? <laughs> <laughs> Will Zach, yeah, let's see. Um, to my knowledge, Greinke has not bet on baseball. Uh, okay. <laughs> so... So we have that going, and look, I don't, I don't, I can't confirm that. So let's mm-hmm. let's hold back. Pump the brakes. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I don't know. I don't know. He may have. Yeah, Grinky. I think Grinky's a Hall of Famer. Um, and the, the crazy thing is, what he's he's thrown more innings for the Royals than any other team. Is that right? Am I am I making that up? Um, yeah. I don't think I am. So you know, I, he hasn't had his best seasons for the Royals. He, he actually. He had probably his best season for the Royals. He hasn't had his best seasons for the Royals. I, I, I think I still think there's going to be some struggles this season because it's hard to win in baseball when you give up that much contact, especially um, when the shift is is gone. Um, had a lot of base runners this year. What 14 hits, I think, and a couple walks in 11 innings, maybe 11 to third. I can't remember exactly, but um, I mean. The, there's going to be a game that it just it, it implodes. It happened last year a few times, mostly on the road, by the way. And he hasn't pitched on the road yet, so we'll see what happens tonight. But um, I, I think that uh, I don't I don't think there's going to be an argument when the time comes because by the time he retires, which who knows when that's going to be, the win total isn't going to matter. They don't care about 300 wins anymore, and they probably shouldn't. Um, I imagine even if he doesn't get to 3,000 strikeouts this year, he'll come back next year to get it. So. He'll get to that number. I, I think he's an easy Hall of Famer. I don't. I don't think there's an argument, um, unless, of course, they they find the DraftKings account, and then then there's a problem. <laughs> yeah, it's legal now in Kansas. Who knows? Now, um, uh, next up for the Royals, they're, they're taking on the Rangers and then the Braves. So the tough schedule continues. And then hey, it's the Rangers after that, right? Again, um, what do you envision this next week looking like for the Royals? What sticks out to you about what they need to do well to have a successful week? Tough week, you're right. I mean, Rangers, um, they, I think they're four and, and four and four, five and four. I can't remember what the record is, but they've, um, five and four. They, um, they have a lot of really good players. <laughs> I, I don't think they have a lot of depth on their team, but they have a lot of really good top end players. They're the type of team that if they, if they pulled a raise and won a three game series like 28 to three, you wouldn't be terribly surprised by it. So, that's a tough series, and they come home to face Atlanta. Um, I think they need to continue to pitch, to throw strikes. That That's the biggest thing. Um, continue to throw strikes. Yeah, they might get hit. It might happen that they give up some runs. If they are throwing strikes, I will feel 
pretty good about this team. I want to see the offense look a little more consistent. Um, it looked like they might be kind of getting going a little bit, and they had a rough one yesterday. So I want to see a couple games. It's not going to be easy because they've got Jacob DeGrom tomorrow, Nathan Eovaldi on Wednesday. Um, they're off on Thursday. Then they, they do miss Spencer Strider with the Braves, I think. So that's useful. <laughs> um, but it, it's a tough week. I Win-wise, I wouldn't be upset if they go two and four, honestly. Um, obviously, that's not their goal. They want to win six games, of course. But um, I just want to see them continue to raid the zone. I mean, for lack of a better term, to, to steal what the Royals have, have said publicly, I, I want to see more strikes. And if they keep doing that, I'm going to be happy. And uh, as far as the player of the week over this last week for the Royals, who would you give that to? Oh, boy. Um, I mean, the easy answer is Chris Bubich, right? I mean, he pitched twice, right? He pitched twice. He pitched since we talked. Uh, it must have been Tuesday and Sunday. Yes. So, yeah, Chris Bubich is the easy answer. Um, Vinny Pasquantino, honorable mention. He, he's, he started to come around. It took him all of, like, four games to get his timing back. <laughs> so, um, happy to see that. And I, I think that uh, – Ultimately, I think the offense is going to be fine because I think it runs through Vinny, and he's going to be okay. So he, he and Bubich, it's Bubich number one, Pasquantino pass number two, but look, can't go wrong when you get two young guys as the players of the week. He is David Lusky. You can check out all his work inside the crown. Make sure you subscribe to his Substack. He's doing a uh, ticket giveaway, too, uh, coming up here, so you're definitely going to want to subscribe to that, not just for the great work, but, hey, you could win some free tickets out of it. David, appreciate the time as always, man. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. All right. That's David Lesky inside the crown. Joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. One hour down, two to go. We got Case of the Mondays next. Tough getting out of bed this morning after your weekend-long bender? I got to get out of here. I think I'm going to lose it. Uh-oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Instead of focusing on Monday, it's time to rehash the glory days of the weekend that was right now on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're freaking me out, man. I got a massive headache. Okay, let's just calm down. How am I supposed to calm down? Look around you. With Derek Johnson. When you come in on Monday and you're not feeling real well, does anyone ever say to you, sounds like someone has a case of the Mondays? No. No, man. Uh, that time on your Monday to figure out who is having a case of the Mondays with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson on KLWN's Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Let's start right here. Load management is having a case of the Mondays. So uh, load management, obviously um, prevalent in the NBA, to say the least. It has taken an even bigger step. It has gone from being prevalent each and every day to okay. being like, yeah, but when when it's time to win, the, the point of load management is that you have healthy players. Sure. Well, uh, not so the case here. <laughs> well, the Dallas Mavericks were in a situation. They had two games to go. They needed to win both games okay. to get into the play-in. They were, okay. um, and they decided to sat or sit five players out. Luka only played one quarter. They what? lost the game, which eliminated them from the playoffs. Okay, you know what? I commend the Mavericks for this because, to me, this just tells me that they know that the play-in game is stupid, it doesn't count, and is the dumbest idea so ever. The Mondays for the so play-in they're game. fine. 
So they they like they they were like the playing game's dumb. It's not even the playoffs. We're already eliminated from the playoffs because the playing game doesn't count. So it's fine. Well, okay, so I, I, I sort of understand, like, because they, this is what Dallas was going with. They have a, a top 10 protected uh, pick that they've traded away, basically, to where if it is a top 10 pick, they get to hold on to it. So you're telling me they intentionally wanted to miss the playoffs? Yes, so that they could try to get the top 10 pick. That's even stupid. Here's the, here's the funnier part to that, though. They won their next game that they needed to lose to have a a better chance of getting that top 10 pick. Now their odds are like screwed. So anyway. Uh, so now they're not going to get a top 10 pick? Most likely. So this is going to mean they're not going to make the playoffs. And yeah, so basically it was the stupidest what? thing ever. But here's the thing. Dude. Okay, first of all. You play to win the game. You have, if you go into a series, if you're the Dallas Mavericks, and you have Luka Doncic, who, I don't know, top five player in the NBA, maybe. I don't yeah, know. There's sure. a lot of really good players. Yeah. Uh, but realistically, we saw him basically carry a team where the second best player was Jalen Brunson, who's a really good player, and then the third best player was like, like Spencer Dinwiddie or yeah. something on last year's team to the conference finals. You you roll the dice with having Luka Doncic in the playoffs, <laughs> and you have Kyrie Irving too, who's a really good player. Who you know? Yeah. Oh, what do you know? You the Mavericks the- have tanked because Kyrie Irving's on the team. Like that's yeah. another story. But still. Yeah. You have those two people. You made the trade for Kyrie Irving, and now you're just like, eh, you know what? Let's just not make the playoffs. That's it's stupid to me. Idiotic. Yeah, the whole thing's dumb. It's like, at what point do sports just become, hey, let's let's actually like try to win? Like, what if a team? Yeah. What if a team who was like the the five seed was like, well, realistically, there's four teams better than us. We're just gonna sit our players in the playoff series and make sure they're healthy for next year. Like, no, that's so dumb because like, you get to the point where it's like you're trying to put yourself in a better position for next year every year. Yes. At what point do you you actually have next year be this year? And this is where the whole uh, enjoy the ride part of it goes for being like a sports fan side of things. This sucks because it's getting rid of that. It's it's not enjoying the ride. I think that's what the NBA has become in all honesty. Um, You don't get to enjoy the ride. Well, I mean, think about it. Win the title or no? Yeah, I mean, think about it. Nobody watches the regular season, I don't think. Like, it's just, I, I mean, I, I certainly haven't. I don't watch regular season NBA games. And when the playoffs start, I'll probably watch a couple of games. But, I mean, I don't know. For me, my big, I'll, I'll watch them. I'll, I'll watch a lot of NBA playoffs. But for me, it's always this, like, I don't know. Lately, it's been, uh, especially the past couple of years, it's just, it's frustrating to me because it's like, the first round matchups even matter. <laughs> You know who's going to win. You know, well, that's there's what we're getting like, back to it. it's like the playing game is stupid. Yeah. So just get rid of it. Well, it's like in the West, if I gave you the Nuggets, the Suns, and the Warriors, you would probably have the team who wins the West. And then in the East, if I gave you the Bucks, the Celtics, the Sixers, you'll probably have the team who wins the West. So it's like the first round is going to mean nothing. Then you'll have one matchup in, in the second round that'll mean something. And then it'll be like, okay, well, we, we probably know who's going to win. I don't know. <laughs> it's just the, there's almost this like, so, let me ask you this. lack is of it, parity. Is it a bad thing? That the best team always wins. Yes, I think so. I really NBA, do think we so. always I talk really about it. the NBA is like the only sport where the like legitimately the best team with the best players yeah. wins every year. Yeah, I, I I'm not saying that you need it to be like NCAA tournament crazy. I'm not saying you need single elimination or something, but like I I think the NFL has almost struck the perfect balance. Like typically you yeah. have like the Chiefs or the, I don't know maybe the NFL is is not as much as you think, but like. Typically, no, no, I think the NFL is pretty good. Like typically in the NFL, like you get a, a, a Eagles team with Jalen Hurts, you get a 49ers team with with Jimmy Garoppolo. You get like every once in a while, you'll have a situation yeah. where like, like a the Rams, seven and nine, right. or seven and ten conference or division winner playoff game makes or the playoffs. But, know, like, uh, but yeah, generally like 
in the, the NFL, Rams won the Super Bowl as the four seed in the NFC. You know yeah, what I mean? Like, like that doesn't happen in the NBA. Yeah, generally, yeah. Yeah. Uh, climate change is having a case of the Mondays. You know, everybody wants to talk about climate change, ruining the weather and ruining the earth. <laughs> climate change thought it was winning. It thought it had a, a big lead on everyone. Well, guess what? Climate change. Take this. Associated Press. A new study finds that climate change is making major league sluggers into even hotter hitters. The reason? Warmer, thinner air. And the little uh, headline on the picture says how <laughs> climate change might be causing more home runs. <laughs> so is climate change actually bad? It's good. It makes so us more, more taters, change, baby. If climate change were a baseball game, we would win. Yes, without a doubt. We're having more fun with it. So, sorry, there climate change. Have some, have some fun. Have some fun. Have some climate change with a side of fun. Yep, exactly. Um, <laughs> I've been watching. There's this uh, show on Apple TV. It's called, uh, I think, Extrapolations. It's like, okay, it extrapolates out like uh, climate change becoming like a big issue and all the sort of things it causes. I'm waiting for the episode where they're like, okay, well, you thought Barry Bonds was cool. How about this hitter who hit 120 <laughs> home runs because of climate change? And then it's like, oh, well, maybe this isn't so bad. No. Well, uh, okay. This is like uh, that. This is like I think it's New Mexico in in college baseball. Their stadium is like in a valley, and it's also at like 5,000 feet, and it's in where like basically they have like a wind tunnel, and they hit like a hundred home runs every year. That's what more teams should do. Love it. All right, case the Mondays for no hitters. They are no longer. I don't know. I mean, they've already kind of fallen off in terms of like it feels like we've seen them so much. Now they're not even leading to. Well, we've seen this before wins, but not just that, like even like low scoring games. So this was in a minor league baseball game. It was the Reds double A affiliate, the Chattanooga Lookouts, which why is your team named the Lookouts? Is that like look out like that? <laughs> no, it's like the guy. At is the it like top the guy the, looking out yeah, at the top, the guy at the okay. top of the crow's nest on the pirate? I like game. it better if it was like, look out. Something's <laughs> coming at you. Uh, they beat the Rocket City Trash Pandas, which that is an elite team name. Yeah. Uh, seven to five. And, you know, you look at the score, yeah, 7-5, whatever, right, regular game. The team who won 7-5, Chattanooga, they scored seven runs, they won the game, they did not have a single hit. You might be wondering, how, how did they score seven yeah, runs? Yeah, how's that possible? Well, add to it, they scored all seven runs in the seventh inning. <laughs> and they did it without, obviously, recording a hit. Um, it was an unbelievable combination of, like, walk on, walk on, walk. You had five walks. Yeah. Including two with the bases loaded. Two more players were hit by pitches. So realistically, it was like seven walks. <laughs> a wild pitch and a defensive error. The defensive error, it was just like a, a can of corn to center field. The center field just drops it. And that was with bases loaded and it scored three of the runs. What I find even more comical slash ironic about this is that's the Reds double A team that won that game. The actual Reds, the major league team, the Cincinnati Reds, they lost a game to the Pirates last year yep. when they threw a no-hitter. So the Reds double-A team is better than the regular Reds. <laughs> they they won while getting no-hit. The Reds no-hit a team and found a way to lose. That's funny. They, you know, specific skill set. It's like, we're you okay. might be more talented, just, but we are better genius, at, at no-hitters. I just had, well, maybe not genius. You might think <laughs> this is really stupid. I'm just going to spitball this to you. It literally just popped in my head just now. Okay. I haven't even thought about it at all. What if MLB did a thing where they like took all the players from like the single A team or whatever, and for one day all the teams played their like single A players on their major league teams? Everybody did. Um, so it's so, like a take your kids to work day type thing, but like <laughs> it's the single A players, and you all put them all on the major league team for one one game. All right, here, one here's game, my problem with this. Day. 
They already do that. It's called single A baseball. No, but you put them on the actual major league team. But if everybody is doing it, you're just having single A versus single A. So why oh, not just have point. it in single A? Okay, hang on. No, you're right. That's the fatal. <laughs> you basically flaw. were like, what? Well, I told you. I didn't what think if we had idea. ice cream outdoors? It's like, okay, well, listen, still eating ice I cream. I told you I didn't think through the idea. But that is that's a good point. <laughs> okay. All right, hang on. I'm a little bit of a loophole there. Let me. Okay, never mind. You know what? Put it in the trash. Okay. On to the next. Now, okay, if you if you was, want to go wow, there, that was so dumb. Have your minor league all stars. I can't believe I you just, can pick some from the single A, some from double A, and then it's like a, a fan game where they're like, "Hey, let's get to know the young players." Wow, I'm really thinking through what I just said. That was like one of the dumbest things I've ever said <laughs> in my entire life. I just now realized that. Well, hey, uh, self evaluation. I appreciate that. That was uh, brutal. The Chiefs' receiver options have a case of the Mondays. Um, you know. I guess, I don't know. I, I don't know where to totally go with this because Odell Beckham Jr. Okay. signed a one-year $18 million deal. He did. Which is outrageous, exactly, it by is. the way. It's way more than the Chiefs would have given. And you might be asking, well, how much of it is guaranteed, like the base salary? Because sometimes NFL teams can be like, oh, it's a $4 million base salary, but if he does this, 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 and that, he can earn $18 million. No, the base salary was like $13, $14 million. Clearly a lot more money than the Chiefs were, were looking to go to and that probably a lot of other well, NFL teams were looking okay, to go to. I have a serious question. What money are the Chiefs looking to give to? Because like $9 million yeah. was too much for Mecole and Juju Smith-Schuster. What's the what's the number, Chiefs? You got to pay somebody. I what think, are we doing? I, I think that's where, where I land here. It's not case of the Mondays that you missed out on Odell. Like they, they can overcome that. And, yes. and for that contract, you're not going to do that. It's just more case of the Mondays that... You hadn't already well, signed one of the other receivers. I also think it's case of the Mondays for people who love social media circuses. Because now you're not going to get OBJ tweeting eye emojis every other week about, Oh, today, oh, I'm in Dallas. I'm in Dallas today, guys. Just ridiculous. Yeah, he can't be the the, the NFL flirt, the, the NFL tease yeah. anymore. Yeah. Um, that was so annoying. Well, you don't have to worry about that with the Chiefs anymore. So that's, I guess, the positive out of this. But yeah, I mean, I, I think it makes it so that you look back more with hindsight on like the the not bringing in Juju for three years, like, yeah, like twenty five million, or, or not bringing not back Nicole Hardman like, but, on a one year, like six million. But then dollar just deal. signing like a crappier version of Nicole with Richie James. Yeah, like what? And it makes you question it. I, I just, I'm dude. I'm I'm trying really hard. I'm trying so hard to stick with what I've been saying all along. I trust Brett Beach, but also. Do something! The options are depleted. Or even like go out there and get like a, I don't know, one before they were signed, like a DJ Chark or something like that. Because the options are pretty much depleted now to where it's pretty much you're based on, you're either got to make a trade for someone yes. or you got to hope someone gets and, cut. And, like somebody and, becomes a cap casual. The options are like, the options are like Hopkins, Brandon Ayuk. Which is going to cost you a lot. The bum squad after right. that. I don't like Evans know. maybe. Um, so I wonder so now, just, like, are they guaranteed to take a first-round receiver? That's kind of where I'm going with this. I kind of think... But Okay, here's the problem. Here is the problem that I have. Are the Chiefs in a position right now to where they can draft basically Sky Moore 2.0? Where they're like, oh, we think this guy's going to be great. He's got a high potential. But then he just doesn't do anything his first No, I don't season. think you... I don't think so. That's exactly. You need more production. So you so can't, have to be like a high first-round pick, yes, right? Yes, it, it can't be a guy that you're like... Knowing it can't be a guy where it's like, hey, we really love this guy. We know he's going to be good, even if he doesn't contribute really that much his first year. Like, we know he's going to be good. I don't think the Chiefs can afford to do that right now because right now their receiving core is nobody. Like, 
And when you look at the NFL draft, the, the kind of talk is that it's like, uh, it's four or five receivers. There's a lot of like decent receivers, but there's yeah. not like a bona fide. No, like, like the past couple like, of even drafts. Like Jackson Smith and Jigba's, I don't think he's like a slam dunk. I mean, he seems like he's pretty good, but. But like even the past couple of drafts, it's like if you picked the ninth or tenth best receiver, you felt like you could get a really good player. Like yes. the, well, they've that, been very that's deep. Exactly what the Chiefs did with Sky Moore. Exactly. And this year it feels more like it's like four or five guys at the top, and then it is a big drop off. And who knows if any of those will be available for the Chiefs at thirty one. Now the Chiefs have I, I think I saw this stat, which is this is pretty remarkable. I'm pretty sure that like every first round pick, the last like Whatever amount, I don't know, over the last like four or five times they've taken a first round pick. This might be wrong. But then it's like always pick 21 for the Chiefs. Hmm. Except for the one that they, like their, their first first round pick. Like they had two this past year. Karloftis was not 21. But like Trent McDuffie was picked 21. Um, I'm trying to think, was Marcus Peters? He might have been like 21. I don't know. I don't know. It's some weird thing. Huh. So you trade up and you get like pick 21 and you get one of the receivers. I kind of feel like that's going to be the way it goes now. Because I, I don't I expect guess. the Chiefs to trade down. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I wish I, I wish I could sit in Brett Beach's office and just egg him on and be like, "Hey, hey, you see this receiving room? We need more. Hey, Brett, we need more, bud." Well, we'll see what happens. Like I said, there could be guys that get cut come like hey, listen, fall camp, but you have Mahomes, but that doesn't mean you have to throw the guys off the street. Yeah. Get, you get somebody. Oh, you're right. Okay, uh, Sam Bennett is having a case of the Mondays. Sam Bennett was the well, normally I would say amateur, but for some reason at the Masters they call them amateurs. You know, <laughs> they get all fancy with it. Uh, but he finished two under. He finished tied 16th in the Masters, which is awesome. That's really good for an amateur or amateur, whatever. Um, he would have been in line to make around two hundred and sixty thousand dollars. So I was not aware of this. The amateurs don't get any of it. Don't get any money. They do not because they're amateurs. And what That's sucks so is it's dumb. not a situation I was reading up on this because I was like, you know, if I was him, and I don't know, let's say he's like a sophomore or junior in college or something. Because he goes to Texas A&M. Okay, is that, is that where it is? Yeah, I just know he plays college. So yeah, let, let's A&M. say you're in well, a situation. Can you just convert that into NIL money or something? Apparently, golf hasn't gone about it. They should do that. That would be cool. But uh, for if I was in his shoes, I was thinking, I was like, you know, I would just be like, okay, sorry, college, I'm out. I'm just taking the $260,000 and I'm starting my professional golf career. Right? Well... I mean, not if he wants to get his degree. You can I mean, work I guess on you that. Could, like, you just you can I guess work you on could, your like, degree. Drop and just out, not... take the two sixty k, and then right. use the two sixty k to pay to finish college. <laughs> I here counterpoint to that. You've made two hundred sixty thousand dollars. You would clearly show that you can do it at the highest level in golf, where you're probably going to make even more money than that. Just start your pro career and take the money. Man, I don't know. I it, it sucks. It sucks. But he can't do that. If you enter as an amateur, you can't even do that. So he gets zero dollars. That that is pretty bad. Yeah. That's I nice. would always, for the rest of my life, be thinking like, man, I could have had two hundred sixty thousand more dollars. Could have had it nah. right there. Nah. Yeah. Sucks. Speaking of the Masters, Brooks Kepska, he's having a case of Mondays. Also, prior to this weekend, only two golfers had shot twelve under or better in their first two rounds and gone on to lose. Kepka makes it three. Did he choke? Did he choke? Um, I mean, I listen. Know, I think if you go by the letter of the law of how you would describe choking, he choked. He had his worst performance on the last day. He shot his worst on the last day, and he got passed. I think he's had a choking? bad day. Like to me, choking would be you let. To, to me, when I hear choking, I think you let the moment get to you. Is that not what happened? If you play your worst on the last day, 
See, I don't think it did because to me, I would think of that as like the last like four holes when the pressure's really on, when you're like, I got to do well here to win the tournament. He just didn't have it all day long. Yeah, but okay. So then he choked from the V. It was an extended period of choking instead of just choking at the end. See, again, to me, it's like it's you choke because you are, I don't know. It's the impact of the moment. I just think he had a bad round. Well, okay, I just think he had a bad way. round at a bad time. The Chiefs, they lost. They were up at half to the Bengals. In the second half, they lose in the AFC title game two years ago. Did the Chiefs choke? It's the same yeah. principle. It's the same principle. Probably a little bit. It's the same principle. I guess they were halfway through. They were halfway there. It wasn't the fourth quarter. They were halfway there, but over the course of the entire half, they choked. Over the course of the entire final round, he choked. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think it's all semantics. I. I, Brooks kept because here's the thing. To me, if you're if you're gonna say that he choked, then you're kind of implying that he is not someone who does well in the big moment, right? Um, well, listen, this particular big moment. I mean, you can be good in big moments and still choke yeah. at one time. I guess I just have a problem with that. But, but I don't know. Whatever. If if you want to say that's how it was, then it was. But I don't know. That's not really my take on it. All right. Case the Mondays for MLB teams who like to spend a lot of money. Tampa Bay Rays. They are bottom five in the majors in salary and payroll. And yet, they are 9-0. Start the year. Take that, Yankees. Take that, Dodgers. I, I don't know. They, they just keep doing this. It's pretty amazing what the um, Tampa Bay Rays have been able to do. Over the past, you know, really decade without working with much resources. Also, they was just, was Matt Cotrano the problem for the race? Oh, <laughs> yeah, they, they they didn't have as good of a team last year. They were pretty good, but they weren't great. Uh, no, I, I mean, we'll, we'll see if this continues on. Like you mentioned, the 2003 Royals, that team ended up stinking after that. Yes, so. yeah, this, I was about to get to that. The first time a team started 9-0 and since 2003, that was the Royals. And they did not finish well. I don't, what was the record that? I don't even know. Was it bad? Well, they might have finished with like an okay record. I'm trying to remember. Um, yeah, they went 83 and 79, which like sounds good. But from then on, it's 74 and 79. So like a below 500 team. I guess that's not terrible, though. All right, last one. Case of the Mondays, the Cincinnati Bengals. Dude, on Twitter this morning, the Cincinnati Bengals, just because they're the Bengals, they're just idiots. They tweeted a picture of them celebrating like their AFC North whenever they... They were all wearing, like, the conquered the North shirts, whatever, of, like, it's you know, squad pick, whatever. Well, that didn't sit too well, evidently, with some people, specifically the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs then tweeted their own separate picture of Mahomes holding the Lombardi Trophy with the same caption, good morning. So the Cincinnati Bengals getting owned on Twitter, getting owned on the football field, and then owned on Twitter. I don't think anybody has a problem with this, uh, especially oh, that the Carson Palmer sucks, Bengals. Yeah, saying Burrow was the best quarterback. Get out of here. Get out of here. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. We'll be back in a jiff. About a quarter till five, we'll uh, dip into some transfer portal talk for KU basketball. Coming up in the five o'clock hour here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. And KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. But some transfer news out of the KU football team. Demarion Alexander, the defensive end and edge for KU, will be leaving the program. He is transferring out. Not really a guy who 
you know, ever played a ton of games for KU, but certainly someone who uh, was seen as, as having a bright future for if he could ever, you know, have everything click for KU. He came in as a three-star recruit. He was, you know, ranked top 1,000 in the country. Um, he had offers from Minnesota, Arizona State, Baylor, some others. And by all accounts, uh, I've heard great things about being super nice kid and, um, you know, super good guy in the locker room and everything like that. So unfortunate anytime you lose a player like that. Uh, again, not someone who appeared in a ton of games for KU or was playing in a ton of action, but because some of the pedigree, six foot five, like good length to him and everything, the thought was that maybe at some point he could become a, a real player in the, the, the lineup for KU. Um, obviously, though, this is not a, a position you want to be losing players at. Yeah, in terms of depth. Right. Sure. Like defensive end was already kind of a question for this team right now. Jeremy Robinson dealing with injury stuff. Patrick Joyner, who came over from Utah State, the transfer, he's been dealing with injury stuff over the course of spring ball. And you lose Lonnie Phelps. You lose Malcolm Lee from last year's team. Uh, you were already losing some key players there. You were losing Sam some key Bird depth. Also. Yeah, looking for guys to kind of step up on on the defensive line and, and at that defensive end spot. And he was one who you kind of wondered, well, well, will this be the year that he takes that next step up into being kind of a starting level player, rotational level player? And uh, now the answer to that will be no because he is transferring out. So you wish him the best. Yeah. And uh, wherever he ends up going, I uh, I think that, that he could make a real impact wherever he ends up going. Um, sure. But where this leaves KU, I think what's most interesting here is just uh, the scholarship kind of conversation for KU. Yeah, going into the spring showcase, they were over, right, over their scholarship limit. We don't know exactly by how many, but so I wouldn't be surprised if there are is more news of guys that end up transferring or leaving the program. And and it's a it's a one of the situations where it's kind of a good problem to have for Kansas because when Kansas was really at the very bottom of the doldrums of of futility as a football program, it was during that time period where. They had they struggled to fill their scholarships. They struggled to get full, and that was for a lot of different reasons, right? But, but you know, the, when you don't have the number, when you don't reach that limit of scholarship players, it's like you're already handicapping yourself, right? And, and on top of that, if you're a program like Kansas that was already struggling, it just made matters worse. So it's kind of a unique position for Kansas to be in for the first time in a while, where they have a situation where some guys aren't going to be able to make it on this team, right? Like, and and it, I think it goes back to something that has been drilled so much by Lance Leipold and his staff ever since they got here, which is they want to see competition across the board. They want to see competition in, uh, in position groups. They want to see competition hit this, there, and the other. And this is kind of the byproduct of that is that you're going to get to a situation where, yeah, you're going to have to make some tough decisions where some guys are probably going to have to leave the program either by transfer or just not making the team, right? So I wouldn't be surprised if there is more news like this of guys that are that are heading out and you wish them the best, certainly. And, and – you know, this is just a product of Kansas. I think it's a product of Kansas looking to elevate their program, right? This is stuff that probably is pretty routine for a lot of Power Five programs around the country, where guys don't make it, guys transfer out, whatever. But for Kansas, it's kind of new territory, just because of like I outlined with what they've dealt with in the past. So uh, it, I don't think it should alarm anybody to see this this happening, because at the end of the day, I mean, you're, if you're over the scholarship limit, you got to find a way to get under it, right? So uh, you might see more guys leaving the program, but it's just a byproduct, I think, of of trying to elevate Kansas and also that that constant pressure of competition that we've come to hear so much about from Lance Leipold. I mean, I feel like 
I feel like it, literally every time someone puts a mic in front of him, he manages to bring it up one way or the other. So it's something that's clearly very important. Yeah. So you're 100% dead on there with the, the whole conversation of, of competition and everything. And yeah, like you said, they're over scholarship to where they're going to have to get rid of guys and certain guys are going to have to leave. That also means this is not the end. There's going to be other guys leaving the program yeah. for them to get back balanced with the number of scholarships they have. And then on top of that, Let's say Kansas does say, hey, we, we really need to address this position or, or a few guys or maybe get two or three guys in here over the summer. Yep. They can help us in, in some things that we view to be deficiencies right now. That means even more guys would have to leave. So yeah. I think I the mean, way you're, you're looking, looking at, at it. it. You look at a guy like Kobe Baines who came in over the summer last year right now. He was yes. a guy that was able to make an impact right away. So if you're Kansas and you are saying, hey, okay, we need defensive line play, top tier, ASAP. You want to look for somebody who's more polished, who can more jump in immediately and make an impact. But, but you're right that that's a conversation that could be had over the summer. Yeah, like a Lorenzo McCaskill. You mentioned Kobe Baines coming in during fall camp. So we saw it last year, and uh, I would imagine you're going to see a, a handful uh, of other guys who who leave the program out, transfer out for KU football. The key will be trying to hold on to guys who are on the two deep. And I don't think Demarion Alexander was on the too deep necessarily. Um, now, when you look at the defensive end position for KU now with what's kind of left, Austin Booker at 6'6", 245. He's certainly someone I expect to be kind of in the rotation there. Jeremy Robinson, he is someone I expect to start. Um, I don't know if Gage – I think Gage Key is going to be more of a defensive tackle. Uh, Cole Petris, who I believe is a former walk-on. Parker Williams, I believe, is a former walk-on. We saw Davion Westmoreland working with the ones during spring football a little bit. I think part of that was Jeremy Robinson being out. So you look at Westmoreland being in the rotation. You look at um, Booker being in the rotation. You look at Robinson being a starter. And, and we Hayden, saw and Hayden Hatcher. Yeah, Hayden Hatcher being in the rotation or a starter, like one of those two as well. Same yeah. for Patrick Joyner Jr. Then you look at Dean Miller. Uh, we saw a little bit of him. He, he made one nice play <laughs> as part of the spring showcase and someone with, I, I think, good potential. He's someone who I think is fighting to be in that rotation. And then you have Tony Terry, who's a freshman, who uh, I think is is going to have a bright future to him. I, I've heard some um, yeah, didn't he put, positives he about like, his game. But, put on like 15, 20 pounds over the course of the spring, I think. Yeah, so I think he, he was an early enrollee and stuff as a freshman, yeah. but also you yeah. don't expect him necessarily to play right away because he is a freshman. So realistically, of the guys I named, I named four guys in the rotation, maybe a fifth with Dean Miller, and one for sure starter with Jeremy Robinson. You're going to move one of those guys who are in the rotation to being a starter. So basically you're going to have two starters, and you're going to have you know three or four other guys in the rotation at least. It's not necessarily that you're at a bad number there. That's good. That means you're basically three deep across the defensive end position. But I think where you're going to be looking for defensive ends, if they do attack this position in the transfer portal here with bringing a guy, it's not necessarily in the depth of it. It's going to be trying to bring on like an impact guy. Yes. Because like that a, is what is star. missing from that unit. Yeah. Yeah. Like like a guy like Hayden Hatcher, who has been a serviceable depth guy the past couple of years, right? But is he the next guy that can be that game-breaker type player. Is Jeremy Robinson the type of guy that can be a game-breaker type player? And Jeremy Robinson had a couple great games, right? I mean, you go back to the Baylor game last year, he was fantastic. But is he? can he be that consistent, all right, it's third down and eight, go get the quarterback. All right, it's third down and nine, go get the quarterback. Like, like that's kind of... That you're kind of missing that next gear type player right now from the, from the guys that you just listed. Uh, that would make you feel a lot better. And again, it goes back to our conversation earlier about, well... The idea was that Monty Phelps would be back this year, and that would be, <laughs> boom, there you go, that would be your guy. So now there is kind of that question mark a little bit about being able to have that sort of X-factor type player. And I think you're right. I think 
if you're looking for somebody as a sort of a late transfer guy over the summer, that's who you'd be looking for is a type of X factor type player who can make impact plays, not just another depth piece because you've got some good pieces that are good depth players already. Like I said, Hayden Hatcher and, and Jerry Robinson have been good players so far, but are they those types of guys that can grab that next gear on third down and long and make a big play consistently? Maybe not. Maybe not. And you might need to go find that type of guy in the transfer portal. But that type of guy may not be in the transfer portal, right? So it could be a tough situation for KU. Yeah, that's the tough part of this. That's not usually a position where it's like, hey, there's an elite pass rusher in the transfer portal at this stage in the game. That <clears throat> yeah, that just doesn't really happen as much. It, it's not one of those positions that it's it's that common. So we'll see if KU is able to figure it out. I mean, part of it too is just hoping that the health of you know Jeremy Robinson and Patrick Joyner Jr. can be something that can be fixed by the time we get to the fall. I think with yeah. Jeremy Robinson, there's not really a question there. With Joyner, I, th- I think there might be some questions about maybe an injury he had coming into camp, which that can be a little bit more worrisome if that is the case. So clearly option number one, because you look at it across the board, QB, pretty set. You have a starter, you have good depth. Yep. Running back, maybe you want to add a little bit more depth. Maybe they bring in another body. Receiver, I think you feel pretty good about both in terms of starters and the depth. Same yep. with tight end, same with offensive line. Um, I think when you look at the secondary, you feel pretty good there. Linebackers, yep. like, sure, maybe it wouldn't hurt to bring in another guy just because they've struggled with that position the last couple of years. But yeah, without a doubt, like defensive end, that is Number one, a pass rusher, a defensive lineman, a defensive end uh, for you to go get if you can in the portal if it is available, even though, yeah, it might be tough to to find. Yeah. All right, two hours down, one to go. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We got a little more KU basketball talk into the transfer portal on the basketball side of things. Coming up next, this is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. <laughs> Five o'clock hour, you're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Some uh, more stuff around KU for the transfer portal. I guess first things first, you know, to to get to where you want to go, you have to know where you came from, right? Okay. Is that the saying? Know where uh, you've been? Something like that? I I guess. I don't know. What are you? I Sure. Well, you have to know, you know, what you lost. Isn't there before. a song? Um... No one to hold them, no one to fold them? That? <laughs> Maybe. Okay. Um, probably. There probably is a song. <laughs> I envision someone's like screaming at the radio right now. Like, is oh, this song this song. Yeah. this song. So anyway. I don't know the names of songs. Where they came from. Bobby Pettiford. That's the name of the song? Oh, wait. Oh, no. Bobby Pettiford. Okay. <laughs> I thought you were saying, where you came from by Bobby Pettiford. Yeah. That's the name of the song. Yeah. Uh, Bobby Bedford is going to be transferring <laughs> away. He is going to East Carolina. I, I think yeah. that's good for Over him. the weekend, he had narrowed down to Georgetown, Florida State, and East Carolina. And of the three, I think East Carolina gives him the best chance to play and showcase his skills more. Uh, Georgetown is being pretty aggressive in the portal with various guys with Ed Cooley coming in. And Florida State was kind of bad last year, so East Carolina... Makes sense. Yes. I I think it just makes the most sense for him to, yeah, get on the court, get playing time, secure all that sort of stuff. But yeah. he'll certainly be somebody that you're monitoring uh, moving forward because, yeah. you know, it's always – it's one of those things you root for him, but then it's like when they do well, it's like, man, what could have been? What could have been? Yeah, there's a – I guess there's kind of a fine line there. Yeah. So uh, Nicholas Timberlake just wrapped up his visit to KU over the weekend. 
did not get a commitment. At least we haven't heard about it. If he has, as of yet. Yeah. But that doesn't make you feel great. I think sometimes you have these guys well, come out on visits and it's like you want them to commit then and there. Yeah, but, but with the Timberlake, remember there yeah. was the story of him going to North Carolina and, and doing they the were thing. pressuring him to committing and he didn't. Yes. Which so, tells me this is someone who literally wants to go on is like this isn't to him about I, I'm sure he is trying to, you know, get as much NIL money and opportunity for playing time and the normal things that the yeah. recruits want to go through, right? Yeah. I'm sure he's doing the normal stuff there. But this tells me this is not a guy who's just about like sometimes a kid will go on a visit and just be like and that's kind of the goal of the visit. You're trying to get him to a point where he's like, Why would I pick anything yeah, else? Dude, right. This is sweet. But yeah. it sounds to me like Nicholas Timberlake is very <clears throat> cerebral in that type of decision, which he should be. It's his last year of college basketball. Exactly. He's got yeah. a real opportunity to make an impact. For somewhere. sure. It's an important decision. Want to make sure you're making one that's best for you, whatever, yes. whether that be Kansas or somewhere else. It makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. So I, I know there were a lot of people that are kind of freaking out that, oh, no, he didn't commit and that he is going to uh, another visit this next weekend. He's going to Connecticut, hmm. which you have a team who just won the national title. You have a team who won the brought- national title last year. The team that was in the national title game. <laughs> well, no, I, I just mean like you're going to a team who just won the national title, has this momentum built up, had a kid that they brought over as a transfer from a smaller school in the Calcaterra kid who came off the bench and was a sniper for them from three. I don't know if their their role there is, you know, we want, we want to have you do just that, but the roadmap is there on a team that is close to where he is from. Uh, that scares you a little bit that like, oh, no, they let him get away without a commitment, and now he's just going to pick Connecticut. That but, would, That would be annoying. It would be annoying, but uh, based on what you were just saying about that North Carolina visit where supposedly they were, yeah, pressuring him to commit and yeah. couldn't get it to do that, that just tells me that this isn't about, oh, KU wasn't able to get him to commit. It's just that for him, he he's not going into any of these visits going, I need to commit on the visit. Yes. yes. So I think it's which, fine. Which makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's fine. You can still get him. Um, now he's, he's probably at or near the top in terms of, Guards that can shoot the ball really well. Yes, I would love to know the conversation from KU's point of the point or end of things to him, as as well as North Carolina and UConn. Like I said, if the if the the conversation from like what's, UConn, what's the pitch? Right. If the conversation from UConn is, hey, we just had Joey Calcaterra coming off the bench, and you know he gave us 15, 20 minutes a game, and he would hit a bunch of threes for us off the bench and give us a bench scoring. Uh, and KU and North Carolina are both like, yeah, you could be like our bench score. Or is one of them like, no, we want you to compete for a starting role, you know? Which like, I think for KU, that would probably be the case. Yeah, they right? probably view it as like, hey, we want you to compete for our starting two job. And if yes. Marco Jackson ends up beating you, then you're going to be our first guard off the bench, right? Yes. Yeah, that makes sense. So I don't I don't know if that's helpful for KU or, or that hurts them, which way it kind of goes with that. But yeah, he is, he is, if you're just looking at shooters, he's the number one guy. I, I think he has to be in the portal. Yeah, just pure shooting. Yeah. Um, which, listen. KU if we go down that. the checklist, if we go down the checklist of things KU needs, that's maybe number one or pretty high up there. Yes. They need shooting. They need shot creation. In some senses, you could make the argument that Nick Timberlake was actually a better shooter than Grady Dick or is at this point in time. Just by the numbers? Just by the numbers. Now, it gets sticky because it's like, well, one did it against Big 12 competition. The other did it in, I don't know, what league is Towson in? The CAA, in the, something like that? M-A-A-C? No, they're not in they're the not, MAC. They're, they're not in the MAC. I thought they were in like the CAA, Colonial, or something. It doesn't matter. They're not in the Big 12. That's the point, right? When you just look at the numbers, Grady Dick shot 40.3% from three on 5.7 attempts per game. 
Timberlake shot 41.6% from three last year on 6.7 attempts per game. So he's taking more, shooting better. Versus Ken Palm top 50 teams. Way less games for Timberlake than Grady Dick played. But Timberlake shot 44%. Grady Dick shot 34.6%. Versus Ken Palm top 100 teams. Again, way more games that Grady Dick played against top 100 than uh, Nicholas Timberlake did. But Timberlake shot 46% from three. Dick shot 38.4% from three. Looking at some of the synergy numbers, Grady Dick was 74th percentile. That's very good in spot-up shooting. Nicholas Timberlake was 94th percentile. Then you look at off-screens, and this is the big one here. Nicholas Timberlake is going to be a sixth-year player this next year. This past year, he's a fifth-year player. As great as Grady Dick was as shooting, as as elite as his form is and uh, as unblockable as it is, a 6'8 guy shooting that high and everything, that was something he was still figuring out as a freshman that he will figure out over sure. some point of his career, Absolutely. but he hadn't figured out yet. He was 34th percentile in shooting off screens. He had yet to figure out how to move off the ball, how to work off a screen properly, and Nicholas Timberlake is 55th percentile, which is yep. above average. Um, yep. And Timberlake, when you watch some of the film, he seems to do a better job of moving off those screens, working around the screens, getting squared up, knowing how to move without the ball. And also, I think Timberlake does a better like one of the one of the I think criticisms or things that I, I think a lot of people were were like, just do this, Grady. Was it was just the conversation of like, start shooting like twenty five to thirty foot threes. You know, if, if they're going to face guard you, if they're going to guard you so tightly, yeah. start shooting it from super deep because that's the only place you're going to get wide open now. Yeah. And we didn't see a ton of that. With Timberlake, he shows a lot of that on film. Again, albeit against lesser competition, which doesn't have a yeah. length or athleticism, so you don't know how it's going to translate necessarily. But I guess my point is that Grady Dick is a better player than Nicholas Timberlake. There's no arguing that. He's taller. He's more athletic. He's better at rebounding. Probably a better defender, even though Grady wasn't known for being a great defender because of the size and athleticism. You know, he's, he's going to provide more for you there. I'm not arguing that you would be, you know, uh, you're losing out there. But just in terms of the shooting, I think you could make a case that Timberlake has a more shoot. Like, Grady Dick, by the time he gets to the same age Nicholas Timberlake is, of course it'll be Grady Dick. Yeah. But sixth year Nicholas Timberlake versus freshman Grady Dick, you could make the argument you would be getting a better shooter. Yeah, you might have a chance to be. Get, you might have a chance to get a guy who is more polished, right? right? Who is more polished in the college game, who understands spacing and whatnot at the college level. Whereas with with Grady Dick, obviously you're getting just an absolute flamethrower, an athlete, a guy that is going to be a top ten pick uh, with with his high release and everything you've outlined. But with Timberlake, you have a chance to get a guy who has kind of. Grind, grinded his way at the college level and and is maybe a bit more of a polished player uh, at this level, right? Obviously, like you said, Grady Dick is going to be in pro- and is a better player, but you have a chance to get a guy who at this at this level might be a bit more polished. Yes. So that's why I think it is a very big deal. So we'll just be kind of monitoring, and I would imagine, I don't think he has any any visits scheduled after UConn. Maybe another one pops up at, at this point in time. Yeah. You know? And I mean, listen, UConn, North Carolina, this is a guy that's sure. a hot commodity right? because of what we just outlined, because of the fact that his metrics are really good in terms of shooting, and even though it's not at the highest level, he clearly has the ability to shoot the ball very well against competition, and is and there's not a ton of guys in the portal that, have shown on by the numbers and, and on film to be at that level of shooting like Timberlake is. And that's why you see these top programs 
trying to get out, trying to go after him. Yeah, and so because I, I there's not a, another visit scheduled after UConn, it does make me wonder if we're going to hear a decision on him maybe in like week and a half, two weeks. Yeah, like I wonder if he could be one of the. I guess quicker dominoes to fall. There have been a lot of guys who have committed just not to KU yet. Um, so I, I don't know. That makes me wonder. So that's certainly interesting that he wrapped up his visit. I know he was out at the spring showcase and, and stuff like that. Uh, a couple guys that KU either had visits or some sort of reported interest with picking other schools that I think are notable in different directions. LJ Cryer picked Houston. Uh, not necessarily a surprise. It sounded like there was some scuttlebutt about that happening like as of months ago. Um, but then when he went in the portal and said the thing about wanting to play point guard, and then he put the the three schools he was going to visit, being Houston, Kansas State, and Kansas, and it was like, oh, maybe Kansas could be after him. But then he made the comment about wanting to play point guard, and it was like, okay, well, then Kansas State makes sense because Houston has Jabal Shedd back, and Kansas has Dewan Harris. But then uh, I guess he ended up settling back with Houston. Yeah, kind of, a weird, 12, uh, kind of a weird roller coaster of of like possibilities with, with Cryer where – he goes in the portal and you're like, oh, wow, right? And then it's like, okay, you know, Kansas. Okay, that would be really exciting. And then you have the point guard stuff, and it's like, okay, well, Kansas has Dewan Harris. Like, you know, is Cryer willing to play the two guard for like 30 minutes a game and then get five, ten minutes of point guard play here at Kansas maybe? Evidently not, right? So that's why he's going to Houston. And, and yeah, I think there was some rumors about that already being the case potentially a while back and – that's where he ends up going. So I think he could be a really good player for Houston. I mean, they, they always have yeah. the insulation with the great defense and rebounding. What do they need? Shot creators. And, yep. and he gives them that. So, unfortunately, he didn't go to KU, but it didn't seem like that was ever, like, super likely. Yeah. Jamil Reynolds picking Cincinnati is interesting from the standpoint of – because so this is – I'm actually going to package this together with this other one. Caden Shedrick. He is the guy who we, we joked around oh about my. Dude, trimming, quote-unquote. Oh, my. <laughs> trimming his list to Dude. 18. And since that happened, Nick is like, I don't care if KU gets him or not. <laughs> um, well, he trimmed his list down to five this okay, time. Okay, there we go. <laughs> five. Thank you. All right, a real list. Features Duke, Texas, Missouri, Kansas State, and Xavier. So more reason for you not to be a okay, Shedrick so no guy. Kansas. He has yeah. Duke, Missouri, Whatever. and Kansas Didn't State want him on there. No Kansas, right? Yeah, I don't care. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so you said Kansas obviously not on that finalist list. Jameel Reynolds picking Cincinnati. That's the Temple big man who they had like a, an in-home visit with uh, down in Texas. It's not that either of those guys would have made or break uh, broke the offseason for KU, but it feels like now you really are if you're going to get a center because there's some some rumors around there that Graham E.K. is like going to go to Providence. It feels like you kind of are falling into the center position where you are pretty hit or miss on make or break on whether you land Hunter Dickinson or not. Like, your backup options yeah. now and are not a little longer and, you know, options. The discussion around getting a big man in the portal for KU was always kind of a, well, you know, it would be nice. Is it, like, the biggest need? Maybe not. But if you can go out and get a, an impact player at that position, you do. And then, like, Jamil Reynolds, okay, yeah, Temple, he did okay, but he wasn't like a, wasn't like a you know, an all-conference level type guy that could come in. Uh, Shedrick, same deal. Maybe I don't know that he would be an all-conference level type guy. But then, obviously, with Graham E.K., it was like, okay, this dude averaged 20 and 10 at Wyoming, carried them to the NCAA tournament. Uh, he was out for a year last year with injuries, so it was like, okay, you know, sure, yeah, why not? But then, but then, here comes Hunter Dickinson into the portal. <laughs> and it's like, wow, that would be the guy, right? And he's number one on pretty much everyone's list of transfer portal options. So certainly a lot of teams are going to be in on him, but you're right. It does feel like 
it does feel like for Kansas, it's either land under Dickinson and work around that, or I guess just roll with potentially more KJ Adams at the five or Ernest Uday or whatever. I mean, because that, 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 again, I, I don't think it's the it's a position where like. I don't know that Kansas is going to go out and, and waste a transfer portal scholarship on just some guy that they think might add some depth, right? Like, it feels like it's going to be either an impact player or we're just going to roll with what we got, assuming assuming Zuby and Ernest, or Ernest is going to stay, but assuming Ernest, assuming Zuby decides to stay, right? Like, that's going to be your stable of big men, which doesn't give you a lot of depth, but, yeah, I don't know. That's my question, though. It's the depth, because... In a perfect world, if you just have Zuby, Uday, and KJ, you're going to be fine at the center position. But if you're moving KJ more to the wing, now you only have two centers. Yeah. One and guy remember, gets in foul trouble. And I remember last year, it, going into it, it felt like, okay, you've got like a lot of depth there. Well, then Cam gets hurt. Yeah. Zuby gets hurt. Zach Clement struggles. Well, how and all many of a years? sudden, you've got Ernest. We've seen so many years under Bill Self-Tenor where the center has gotten injured. You know? Yeah. yeah. And so you're, you're one injury away from then only having... KJ and one of Ernest or Zuby at that point. And yeah. then if you have an Arkansas game where both players uh, get have four fouls. Yeah, exactly. Then you're like, oh, no, what do we do now? Is Marcus Adams playing the five? Is, I don't know, some win yeah, playing mean, the five? I mean, right? At least good. last year it was like if you had to roll out a lineup with Jalen Wilson at the five, it was like bad but not terrible. <laughs> with Jalen, right. with no Jalen Wilson, like it would be terrible. Yes. And then, uh, so the last piece, so you, you really all are, are kind of eggs in one basket, although who knows, more names could enter the portal. Uh, Harrison Ingram, th- this is somebody that, uh, I think it was Eric Bossy uh, said that, you know, there, there hasn't been really much going there between Harrison Ingram and KU, but now this today comes from Tipton Edits, Joe Tipton. Stanford transfer Harrison Ingram spoke to Kentucky's John Calipari today and Kansas' Bill Self. And he's someone who, he is a kind of, Un, like he's not like a vertically great athlete, um, but he's like a big, strong body type of athlete who can play kind of the three or four positions. He'd probably for KU profile to be in that that four position, similar to like Jalen Wilson. Uh, got a good feel to the game. Not a very good shooter. Not horrible at it. Like low thirties percent that type for KU. Um, former five star recruit like McDonald's All American. That definitely is one that I'm keeping an eye on. Yeah, interesting. Uh, that one sounds like it maybe checks some boxes, but leaves the biggest one unchecked which is shooting shooting yeah so he would be a good pair if you like let's say you get timberlake and you get hunter dickinson <laughs> it's perfect because dickinson can stretch a bit as a five i don't know maybe <laughs> i don't know i'm keeping an eye on it it's it's interesting at the very least all right we're gonna take a time out this is rock truck sports talk with nick springer i'm Derek johnson lance leipold audio next Thanks for listening to the Best of RCST podcast. And a reminder, you can catch our show Monday through Friday from 3 to 6 live on KLWN in Lawrence, 101.7 FM, 1320 AM, or anywhere you're online at klwn.com or the KLWN app. Thanks for listening.